Hello and welcome to the seventh series podcast, where we talk about Ashtanga yoga and family life. The show is produced in Melbourne, Australia, by me, your host, Gaynor Stanisic. Hello, this is Gaynor. Thanks for joining me. In this episode, I speak with Grace Studica, who's a yoga teacher specializing in pre and postnatal yoga and mums and bubs classes. Grace is originally from Sydney and has spent time in Port Hedland, a remote town in Western Australia, before moving to Melbourne. She had three children within a short period of time, so she talks us through the three very different experiences, including two cesarean births and then her decision-making process around having a vaginal birth after the two cesareans. Grace attracted the right people around her and had her vaginal birth with her third baby. Grace shares her need to create community and how she felt most engaged when giving back to those around her. For her, this evolved over time and being a mother has enriched her yoga teaching. We also get to hear how Grace integrates yoga into motherhood, focusing on finding the calm in the chaos. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Grace. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for joining me. To start off with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you live, who's in your family and what you do? My name's Grace and I live in Melbourne at the moment. I'm originally from Sydney, moved to Western Australia for a few years in a remote town and then have been in Melbourne for four years. I'm a school teacher and a yoga teacher, always been interested in education, so I'm educating in some form or another. My husband's a engineer and he works in rail so he loves working with the trains and I'm actually Lebanese Australian. My parents are both born in Lebanon and my first language was actually Arabic when I was little. I have three children, um, a seven-year-old boy and two girls, a five-year-old and a three-year-old. How did you first come to Ashtanga Yoga? I was always into dance and gymnastics and I always kind of did movement stuff growing up and then I kind of felt when I was in my early 20s that I didn't really want to do that anymore so I stopped that and then I moved to Canada and while I was in Canada I was walking past this street constantly and I I didn't even notice it because it was winter and it was freezing but then when it was springtime I noticed this sign in massive print that I didn't know how I missed it it said yoga and that was actually the first time I saw Ashtanga yoga But before that, I did um, some random classes, you know, in Sydney at, um, I think it was yoga in daily life. I did a couple of classes there and then I did a couple at the gym when I was at uni. I just wanted to try it. I'd heard or seen. It looked nice. It looked graceful. I just sort of only understood it as a physical practice and it didn't really have an effect, a major effect on me. But when I found this place in Canada, so I signed up for it, but I had no idea of styles of yoga or anything like that and it turned out to be an ashtanga center i remember my first class it was very humbling because it was so hard i actually remember leaving going i don't think i'm gonna do that again but then i kind of i i realized it was my ego you know i thought oh this must be just you know because it's hard i went back and then i was just absolutely hooked i i loved it they had a retreat in the rocky mountains there within a couple of weeks of me starting. So I spent time in Canmore for the weekend. I just remember it being so intense and so hard, but I loved it. There was something that just kept drawing me back to the practice. And then I did, it was a few months there, and then I was leaving. I was coming back home to Sydney, and I just remember worrying about that, thinking, how am I going to find a place like this? 
you know, in Sydney, but little did I know that, you know, one of the most amazing teachers in the world was in Sydney. My teacher in Canada told me, oh, no, you're really lucky. There's a, there's a teacher in Sydney you'll just love. He set me up with Eileen's details, yoga moves in Sydney. And so that was in 2003. So I started off with her. I did afternoons for a while and then moved to early mornings. So that's how I got to, to meet Eileen. Did you end up doing any teaching as well? Being a natural teacher just by nature and being a school teacher, um, I was really nervous to teach yoga actually because I, I felt very like in the Ashtanga world particularly, you, you know, you're not allowed to teach unless you're certified and all this stuff. So I was very, very nervous about doing any teaching. It was actually some friends and some people at the school that I was working at that kept saying to me, why don't we just do a little group? I'd love to learn from you. And I started actually just teaching some kids in my class and then I taught you know, some women that I knew, just very small groups that it was pretty early on that I started teaching, probably like only two years after practicing. Um, but I was a diligent practitioner too. So it was a daily, you know, strong practice. And then I was ready to pass on what I knew to small groups of, of people. So I started teaching quite early in my yoga. And I look back now and I think, oh, did I even teach anything right? I mean, it's it's such a journey, yoga, isn't it? The more you know, the more you realise you don't know. And, yeah, so it's been quite an experience. And so did you ever do an apprenticeship or help with Eileen? In 2000, I think it was 2008, I assisted Eileen um, in her classes and uh, did that until probably 2011 when I got married um, and moved from Sydney. But yeah, I, I was always such a diligent student um, and we had other amazing teachers at Yoga Moves. Um, so Mark Roberts was one of them, Paul Fretchling, Jenny Olson. So I was always exposed to these incredible teachers through the Ashtanga circles and very, very grateful for it. You mentioned that you got married to your partner. When did you decide to start a family? I was 29 when I met my husband and we got married two years after we met. So I was just early 30s and we just wanted a family right from the get-go. We felt like we were later in life. We had travelled and done all those things that we wanted to do um, and we were ready to start a family basically straight away. (laughs) We were on the same page as each other with that, which was great. So we wanted to start a family straight away and uh, we actually got pregnant very quickly and I was was super excited but then I actually miscarried. Uh, My first baby was a miscarriage and that was absolutely devastating. It didn't really enter my mind that, you know, that would even be possible, that that would even happen. It just didn't. I was so caught up in the excitement of it all um, to have fallen pregnant pregnant basically straight away. So I was pretty devastated about that. Um, And in reality, it didn't take us very long to fall pregnant um, again, which is now my son, my seven-year-old boy. Um, So we never really struggled with fertility issues or anything like that, which in that sense, I feel quite fortunate about. So yeah, so we fell pregnant very easily with all three kids. I knew straight away that I was fertile and that this could happen and it was right every time. And with that pregnancy, how far along were you when you miscarried? By the time I figured it out, I think I was about eight, eight or nine weeks. But pro- probably in reality, I'd miscarried before that, um, but just didn't know it. Um, I did feel a bit unusual. I felt quite bloated. I remember feeling like, gosh, I've really, you know, expanded so quickly. That's very unusual. It didn't feel, it didn't feel usual to me, even though I didn't know. Um, and then it didn't take long that I realised, you know, I started bleeding and that kind of thing. 
and it was pretty pretty bad experience for me personally. I was travelling home. Well, I was in Sydney visiting and then I was heading back to Port Hedland in Western Australia and I actually miscarried on the plane. I had signs that it might be coming but it actually must have intensified being on the flight and then that was it. I was like, it was like a labour basically, just a much smaller version. They sent me to a little, you know, room in the cabin and I basically laboured for five hours. (laughs) I was absolutely exhausted. And, yeah, it was pretty horrible experience and, and devastated and I was completely on my own. So, yeah, it wasn't a great experience for me. Were you practising at that time or what did your practice look like at that point? When I was in Sydney up until I left, um, I was very diligent practitioner at uh, Yoga Moves with Eileen. So I was there almost daily doing my strong practice, you know, one and a half hours before work getting up early, all those things. When I moved in 2011, we got married um, and I moved to Western Australia. So it was it's a very remote town and at the time when I moved, there was no yoga there, so there was not even a yoga teacher. I moved there and it was such such a grieving process for me that I really had to let go of this life that I had, that I was, you know, up early every morning. I had a community. I had my teacher. I just didn't have that anymore. And I really felt a sense of grief. I had to practice on my own. I had to really step up. And I found that hard initially. And particularly, I think if we hold on to what it feels like and looks like in a particular period of time, and then it changes, you know, having that pre-baby body and being strong, diligent practitioner, having no responsibilities really, felt so different to then you know afterwards having kids and then when you're practicing on your own without a community so when I moved to WA I practiced um, on my own and it never felt the same so to speak so I struggled with that but I did keep practicing and it was it was still like I'm still going to do you know my shtanga sequence whether it was before work or after I always tried to manage something even if it wasn't the full sequence but I was still very much in love with yoga and then in love with teaching. So I started teaching within a couple of weeks of being there. So I just started running weekly classes and they were becoming very popular. If I could find my tribe or my community, I felt like I was more motivated to practice. If I was completely alone and couldn't connect with anyone, I found it harder. So that that kept me kind of not just accountable, but also just more motivated um, because I could connect with my people. And so after that miscarriage, did you plan to try again or how did that evolve? I was very much grieving. It took me quite a while to heal from that. Um, and I felt like no one really understood and it wasn't really something spoken about. So I struggled with that and I really wanted to break the silence of that. So I did let people know, my friends know that I miscarried and some people responded differently to others and then some people were telling me that they miscarried and I had never even known about it and I thought it was very strange that this was one thing that people just, there's a culture around miscarriage that you just don't tell anyone you're pregnant till you're 12 weeks in case you miscarried or why would you not have your support network when you're going through such an incredible deeply traumatic experience to lose a baby to lose a child you know no matter how many weeks um so it took me a while you know to to really come to terms with that loss particularly when I had people around me that were pregnant at the same time and were all very excited initially but mine didn't come into fruition so I think 
it wasn't really like a we're going to stop trying or we're going to keep trying. We just, you know, whatever will happen will happen. And I basically, I think it was, I miscarried in January of that year and then I fell pregnant again, I think September. So it feels like a long time when I say it, like, you know, about nine months, but we weren't like diligently trying. It was just, I was really trying to heal through the process. And then it just kind of happened at that time when I, I guess I felt ready. Um, but we were very excited. It was still something we very much wanted. And that brought me a lot of healing too, when I was able to have, you know, my, my child. And But I still think of that first baby. We still often think about it. But at the same time, we think, if we had that baby, we wouldn't have this child. And, you know, it's kind of a hard thing to grasp. Like we're so grateful for our wonderful son and, and our girls. That, But if, you know, life would have gone in a slightly different direction if, if we didn't have them and we had the other one that we lost. And what was your pregnancy like with your first? I got um, morning sickness and I don't know why they call it that because it's all day sickness. It's completely and utterly debilitating. I remember feeling that come on and creep up probably, I don't know, maybe the seven, eight-week mark. And everyone knew I was pregnant because I just started eating Jats, <laughs> Jats biscuits. And it was just something I just needed to eat all day to sort of ease this sickness. But I was also very particular what I wanted to eat. And everything with the smell turned me off and I felt sick. And I just remember constantly feeling this yucky feeling in my stomach and nothing would make it go away and it was like a combination of needing to vomit but also needing to eat and it was a really bizarre feeling that eating made me feel better but I still wanted to vomit so I had that with all three kids but the third one wasn't as bad but I remember the first one being the worst the the morning sickness or the all-day sickness and it slowly started to ease up when I was 13 weeks, it started easing up. So it was really hard to, and it was really hard to even just survive. I was teaching full time with my first baby. So I would literally be sitting behind my desk, sneaking in jats, and then also vomiting in the, in the pit behind my desk while I was teaching my grade fives. Um, so it was not a very good experience for me, the first trimester. But it did ease up and then the second trimester was just wonderful, like felt really good, really nice size, you know, not too big, not too small, obviously pregnant, um, not feeling sick anymore. But then when I hit the third trimester, I was really big, <laughs> um, you know, I'm pretty small framed, I'm, I'm quite short and a very tiny frame and then I just had these massive bellies. I found it hard sort of getting around in the end, um, getting up and down and moving around as, as easily as I did before. And did you observe that first trimester, did you take that off your yoga practice or did you practice through that time? I definitely modified. I didn't do a straight Ashtanga class, that's that's definite. Because I was feeling so sick, it didn't even make sense for me to, to practice anything strong. Yeah, so basically I didn't practice Ashtanga for the first trimester, I think with any of them. But I did a modified practice. So if I felt I just wanted to move my body, if I wanted to breathe, like even sitting and meditating was such a challenge because I felt sick so much at the start. So it was more just allowing my body the space to move and release, but just such small pockets um, of, of moments there. I even remember being in Perth, pregnant with my first and yoga space with Jean um, was right down the road and I just I think I attended one of the prenatal classes but I was just feeling so sick I thought what is the point like I just don't feel well and it wasn't making me feel better 
so yeah I, I did observe basically not practicing but I didn't adhere strictly to no yoga whatsoever there was still a little bit there but just not as not an ashtanga practice and then did you change that in the second trimester or did you return to some sort of practice then I definitely returned to more of a practice in my second uh, trimester, particularly with my third baby. I was very fortunate being in Melbourne because I could actually attend classes of my own because prior to that, being in Port Hedland, it was self-practice anyway. So I did my own self-practice modified. But in Melbourne, when I was pregnant with my third, I was really lucky. I was able to go to... um, the Ashtanga Centre in Fitzroy with Tracy and Graham. And um, I would just organise a babysitter for a couple of hours and I'd go off and do a very modified Ashtanga practice. And they were absolutely wonderful to me, uh, very nurturing. and But at the same time, you know, helped me pro- progress in the sense of just bring awareness to my practice, not so much pushing anything. So that was wonderful. That was my heaven away from from my two toddlers. Every, every week I'd go once a week and that was amazing for me. I did practice all the way through second and third but not a strong practice whatsoever. Lots of modifications, particularly in the third trimester. So how did you go being in a small rural town in Port Hedland and trying to navigate your way through understanding what was going to work? Well, I was really lucky because I was um, drawn to doing prenatal yoga training through yoga space in Perth this was before I had kids that really gave me a picture of birth you know not just the yoga part of it but but just birth choices you know the way it operates in Australia and I learned all those things and I was completely fascinated and drawn to it it changed my mindset from my understanding of birth it was such a deeply moving experience for me to learn that well before I had kids so then when the time came to have my to have kids, I already had that strong prenatal training in my head. I already started teaching it. And so it helped me build a really good base for, for my own body and how to listen to it and what modifications to make and what things I could do, um, not just in an Ashtanga way, but, you know, other practices. So then when I was pregnant and actually experienced things for myself, In Port Hedland, I was pregnant with my first. I ran prenatal classes and it felt different teaching being pregnant because I could actually feel what was going on and um, how that felt as a practitioner, not just as a teacher. So it was a real eye-opener. And it was great to always offer things in the community there where I was able to experience things myself. So once I had my baby, I started teaching mums and bubs yoga with my baby in my mother's group. And so it was always really nice. It was almost like... um, Every time I experienced something, I was able to, to offer it to the community and it made me a better teacher for it, I believe. Tell us a little bit about your third trimester and when did you go into labour? Being in Port Hedland made my options very limited. There's one hospital there, a public hospital, and great great midwives, great team and all of those things, um, but you're just limited for options. So there weren't any doulas in town that I knew of. There were no private midwives um, so home birthing was not an option. There were no birthing centres or anything like that. Basically, your only option was to have a baby at the hospital. And based on all the research I had done and, and all of that prior, I really wanted to have a particular type of birth experience or try for a particular type of birth experience, but I was limited. So I just decided to go with the flow and go with the hospital care because moving was going to be too hard or going to Perth was going to be too hard and my husband was working in Headland. So it was all too complicated and that's also very stressful. So 
I was pregnant and I just thought, I can't get any bigger. I can't move. I was struggling walking at that point just down the street. And I remember going for an evening walk. And then I I started some contractions, I think that night. And that was probably three days before his, uh, probably three or four days before his due date. I just remember sort of starting to feel this tightness. And because I had the miscarriage, I recognized some of those sensations. Like I already felt those waves come across the pelvis, you know, that feeling of what it felt like for a contraction to happen. And I I started recognizing it. And I said, well, this is what it feels like. But things just for me happened really slowly with all of them. It, It took such a long time to get from the start of my contractions to active labor. Basically, I went for days with my first uh, baby. It was like three days until I actually gave birth. And because I had a particular vision of how I wanted things, I was quite adamant. I was, you know, I was quite stubborn. I didn't want any intervention or anything like that. So um, even though I was going and going and, you know, I was in the shower, in the bath and was very well looked after, I just wasn't going anywhere. I sat on seven centimeters for so long and that became then disheartening as well. And I was exhausted. I was absolutely, absolutely and utterly exhausted. And then one of the midwives just basically sat me down and said, look, you know, you can't, we can't keep going like this. You know, this is, it's too long and we're concerned. And I really had to, I had to come to terms with the fact that this was, you know, it was getting concerning now. I did have the epidural at that point and it was a couple of hours later they said, look, you're still still the same. We're not going to keep taking this risk. We, we want you to have a caesarean. So I was pretty devastated by that because that's not really the vision I had and I was quite naive at that time, I think, being my first baby. I had a caesarean but I was so exhausted that I felt like in hindsight I really kind of didn't enjoy my baby um, as I could have if I was a little bit more rested (laughs) in some ways. I'd gone for three days. I had like two, almost three nights without sleep when they finally put him on me. I was overjoyed that I had him, but it was such a relief that that experience was finally over. But then I was so tired, I could barely keep my eyes open. I just remember constantly being in this sleep mode for days, trying to breastfeed, trying to feed and just being so exhausted. So that that was very difficult for me. You said you were disappointed about the cesarean. At what point did you realise that you were disappointed in that's how it went? Instantly, every time like I went to the hospital, my labour stalled, which is very common. You know, for some women, hospitals, well, for, for most of us, hospitals are seen as, you know, a place when something's wrong. And when uh, we hurt ourselves, we go to the hospital, which is great. It's an absolutely wonderful, you know, service that we have. But for birth, it's not that something's wrong. You know, we have we have birth and it's supposed to be a very normal, natural thing for most people. This is what the body does. It gives birth. But when you switch to that hospital zone, sometimes it can really affect a woman psychologically. And for me, I went to the hospital the first time. They sent me home. They said, you're still too early. I said, but I've you know, been going for hours and nothing's changing. So they sent me home. But every time I got to the hospital, my labor stalled. And I just felt like, what's going on? I was just intense labor a minute ago and now I've just stopped. And it happened a few times, you know, it would kick kick in again, it'd be intense, it'd be crazy, I'd think my baby's about to come out and then I'd stall again. And I had a doula I was talking to on the phone and, you know, she was talking me through, you know, some relaxation techniques, letting go of fear. You know, it's often something that can hold women back. I just had a real big fear of a cesarean. 
now I'm not afraid of it or anything, but at that time, being my first baby, I was just really didn't want that to happen. I had done hypnobirthing. I had done all these things to help prepare myself that in some ways completely, I don't want to say brainwashed. I loved hypnobirthing and all those things, but in some ways I feel it can be dangerous to really convince yourself that this is the only way that it's going to happen because when it doesn't, you become disappointed, you become let down, you think you did something wrong when it's not the case at all. You know, this is life, this is babies, this is the unknown. Um, So I was disappointed right from the start, right from the minute they were pushing for me to have an epidural and things like that. I was I was so terrified of of saying yes and signing those papers. So, yeah, I was pretty disappointed very early on. Tell us a little bit about settling into being a new mother and what was your expectation? I remember being so tired, so incredibly tired with my first baby. Um, In some ways I was more tired with him than I was, you know, with my third baby because I was so new to it all and so new to, to what was, you know, what was I meant to do? How was I supposed to breastfeed? And it wasn't going as smoothly initially as I, you know, anticipated. It was really the exhaustion that I wasn't prepared for, the lack of sleep and being constantly woken up and just knowing how to settle my baby, knowing how to, to put my baby to sleep and what's the right way. You know, you'd hear so many different things. Never put them on their tummy. You know, don't put them on their side. Don't sleep with them in your bed. Don't let them fall asleep on your boob. So you'd get so many different contradictory advice. And then you at some point have to step up in your head and say, hang on, what are my values? What works for me? And then just go with your intuition rather than constantly thinking, is this right? You know, and trying to reach out to other people to get advice. When I finally was able to step up to that, that's when I felt like I made motherhood my own, that this is my my way, my baby, my family. Yes, my baby can fall asleep on my breast, breastfeeding. That's totally fine. And I own that. And I'm happy with that. I think exhaustion and just learning breastfeeding and the routine of baby and sleep and settling, I found hard. And and in hindsight, having three, my first baby was just generally, you know, unsettled. And I wonder if that was because of me or just personality wise, maybe a bit of both, because my two girls weren't like that. You know, they were much more settled, but I was also much more relaxed. So I found that relaxing into motherhood and just going with my gut more and if I'm happy for them to, to to sleep in bed with me, that's okay. I was getting much more sleep the second and third time round, even though I had a to- toddlers to look after because I allowed myself to do the things I felt comfortable with. What was your recovery like from your actual birth? Well, it's interesting because the recovery with this is I had two cesareans for the first and second and then I had a VBAC with the third, so I had a vaginal birth, but it was still assisted. I still had forceps. Um, assistance with the third and having both to compare um, was interesting because the cesareans I found very difficult to recover in terms of being able to sit to sit up and get up out of bed um, because it's around the abdominal area so anything around there was just a challenge you know to get out of bed was so painful for me the first 24 hours at least for recovery for the cesareans I found it challenging getting in and out of bed, breastfeeding comfortably with baby resting on my tummy. Pelvic floor, I didn't feel as affected with the first two with the cesarean. I actually felt still quite strong in my pelvic floor. Even though I had big babies, heavy pregnancies, 
afterwards I didn't find that was much of an issue. But after the vaginal birth, the third one, I actually could tell very significantly my pelvic floor was very different having pushed a baby out of my vagina. So I could actually feel very different, a lot weaker, and my recovery was different. So I felt better getting in and out of bed. That was amazing. I could just pop up, get up, get down, and and felt great in that way walking around freely but then I had other you know issues sensitivities sitting actually sitting directly down while I was still recovering um, vaginally and then also pelvic floor I realized my practice felt very different even just any kind of exercise on my pelvic floor felt very different after my third the vaginal birth because I realized how much weaker it was and how much time that was going to need to heal. So when did you decide to get back on the mat after your first with my first, because I lived in a, um, a town, it was very easy to get around. And um, because I was the only teacher at the time teaching yoga, I really wanted to get back to serve the community. So I probably started teaching before I even started practicing again. So six weeks, I think it was. I was just five minutes down the road. I would teach my class and come home and my husband would have, have my baby with him. So I got back into teaching pretty fast and like I said earlier, for me, if I've got my community, my tribe and I'm teaching, I feel much more motivated to practice as well. You know, I had three kids in three years and sometimes some things are a blur. It was definitely a few months in where I started to say, all right, time to to develop my practice again, get back into it. And then it was the question of how was I going to do that with this baby and I was so tired still. And then a friend of mine actually said, to me, you know, you could go to the gym and there's a creche at the gym and just use the creche, pop him in the creche and do some yoga in the, you know, in the gym because there's no yoga shell or anything like that. And so I, I actually took advantage of that pretty early on with my son. I pay for the gym membership, put him in the creche, and then I just roll out my mat in the gym area and I practice there. And I did that for ages. I did that probably for over a year. And that was my daily routine because he was home with me. He wasn't in daycare or anything like that. So we'd just go. He got used to the creche, loved it, and I would just smash out an hour of yoga. And I really did have to modify at the start and really listen to my body, what I needed, and not rush into anything because I could do it before. It doesn't mean I was going to be able to do it right now. And did it help having done the prenatal, postnatal yoga training as to know what you should or shouldn't do heading back into your practice? Yeah, definitely, because I knew about abdominal separation. I knew not to push myself too hard in back bends. I knew about, you know, reestablishing the connection of the core, the pelvic floor. It actually made me step up as a teacher and as a student because I had to tap into what I knew. I had to really feel my way through my practice more and take ownership of it. So that was definitely a big benefit to me having done the prenatal and postnatal training. You mentioned that you had three kids close together. So when did you decide to start thinking about having a second child? When someone asks me, oh, we're thinking of another baby, I just say, don't think. If you're thinking about it, don't think, just do it. And that's basically what happened. When I had my first boy, I thought I'm never doing this again. That was my initial thought. Not just the birth, but the whole mothering, the first three months, the crying and the unsettled time and the exhaustion. I remember saying, I'll never do this again. And then one year in, I was pregnant. And I just remember always reminding myself, it passes, you know, it's not forever, but I'm going to be this exhausted. But in saying that now, I'm still tired. 
you know, that kind of intense time where you're breastfeeding and settling a baby and they're always waking up, it's not forever. They do pass that stage. And by one, he was, well, not sleeping through the entire night, but he was, you know, waking up once or something like that. So I was getting more sleep. At that point, I just thought, you know what, we can't overthink it. If we want a baby, we're going to have a baby. And I knew straight away I was fertile and that was it, you know, and it happened every time that way that it was just I knew I was fertile. I knew it would happen, but I just didn't overthink it. I thought, don't overthink it or it won't happen. So that's kind of what happened. And then what were your first signs of the pregnancy? I would always get the fertilisation show or something where you actually get a little bit of a bloody show out of the vagina that shows you that you've actually fertilised. I remember reading about it and it happened with each of them. It was very small, but it was there and I could see it and I was like, that's it, I know it, we're pregnant. And then before I actually was due for my period, probably like even three to five days, you can do the pregnancy test and I was just too curious and, and excited to know that I, I would test it and it was and I was right all three times that I was pregnant. So that, that was kind of a sign for me that we were pregnant. How was that pregnancy compared to your first pregnancy? Did you say take the same approach to your practice as your first? Yeah, I would say so. I just, I had a toddler to look after too, so it was even harder. And then I tried the whole approach that I had before, take take them to the gym, put them in the creche um, and do some yoga. So I did try that, um, but I don't think my daughter was as happy in there as my son. And I wouldn't do that straight away. I sort of gave them at least three months to be stronger in their immune system and didn't want to leave them too early at too early of an age. So I did the same thing. I, I modified my practice, listened to my body, and then tried to have some kid-free time yoga. Um, but at the same time, I would do yoga with my kids around me all the time. That's been happening since they were babies. I'd, I'd just whip out my mat and, and practice anywhere in the house and they just crawl all over me and I still do it now. And they just know that's part of mum's life and that's what yoga is. And I'm so grateful I've done that and not always done it separate to them because they actually copy and they mimic and they can see how beneficial it is for mum and without even them realising they're doing some yoga and they've done they all did kids yoga with me. I've taught kids yoga and continue to teach kids yoga. So just integrating them in part of the practice. But, it, of course, it doesn't feel the same as when I do it on my own and I've got silence and I've got community or I've got, you know, this beautiful, blissful state. That's not always yoga. You know, yoga is having chaos around you and trying to find your centre, trying to find that uh, peace or that calm in that chaos. And my house is always chaotic. There's three kids always wanting something, needing something, and they're always on top of me when I'm doing yoga. Yeah, I modified, I found time to do it on my own, but I also wasn't afraid to do it with them crawling around me all over me. So that's been good too. It's a big learning curve for me. What was your expectations for your second birth, having had a cesarean for your first? I was sure that I was going to make sure I didn't leave any stone unturned with the second one. So I wasn't blaming anyone in the first. It was just that was the care I had. That were the only options that I had. And I was looking back at the first time and what I could do differently. So the second time I thought, you know what, we're going to do, try our best to give myself the best opportunity for a VBAC. And if I don't get it, that's okay. My attitude was so different the second time around. I'm going to do my best, put all the things in place. And if it doesn't happen, that's perfectly okay. And it's not my fault and it's no one's fault. It's just the way it is. So what I did the second time was because my family is in Sydney, 
at home is Sydney. I actually booked a private midwife, an independent midwife in Sydney. What I did was I had appointments with her. I'd come to Sydney every time and have appointments with her, but I'd also have all my appointments at the hospital in Headland at the same time. So we'll do both. And then I basically came at the end of my pregnancy. I think I was 30, maybe 35 weeks. I came to Sydney and stayed there and had more back-to-back appointments with my private midwife. And we were going to try for a home birth and I was going to have try to have it at my parents' house. You know, just that experience alone of that whole continuity of care and that ability to choose. And I had a doula as well, actually. I had a midwife and a doula. So I set myself up with complete, you know, I was fully armed with what I felt I needed. And the experience was beautiful. And I didn't have a home birth. I had another cesarean. But I have to say that the care, the continuity, the ability to make the choice along the way felt very different the second time round. I never felt like I had any choice the first time. I was being told what to do all the time and I never felt like I had any power in that. So the second time led to a cesarean, but I but I was in a bath at home and I was, you know, laboring for as long as I could and the same, you know, the same issues that I had the first time was this very slow progress and I was going, you know, going and going and it just wasn't going you know, not that it has to go at a particular pace, but I didn't want to have that exhaustion again. I didn't want to experience what I did the first time where I couldn't enjoy my baby. And I'm really grateful that I listened to that. So yeah, that was the second. Was there any discussion as to why the labour progressed so slowly? Was it to do with baby positioning or did you ever find out or understand why that happened for both those labours? My son was a big boy. He was 4.34 kilos. So he was big. And, you know, I'm a pretty small frame. So uh, I think size would have to be one issue um, with both. And my, my second was uh, late three kilos, 3.9 or something. So she was still big as well. So they were both big. And I had gestational diabetes. So that was not surprising. And my mum had big babies. So I was expecting a nice, big, solid baby. So I imagine that's definitely one reason, just the size. I think the position was also another. Um, My son was posterior, so his spine was against my spine. So that made labour very painful, but also it's much harder to deliver a baby in that position. And the same with my daughter. The second time, she was posterior, but I actually got to 10 centimetres with her the epidural in the end and she had turned she was she was facing anterior position she was in optimal birth position the notes that I went through and what they had told me they felt that she may have been just stuck and just couldn't get out I'm not totally convinced of that I know the obstetrician I had there at that hospital she was not keen to give me a vaginal birth Um, and you can tell by their hunch or what they feel is right they they often feel, feel more comfortable giving a cesarean the way that you can give a cesarean is very clear cut compared to a vaginal birth. It's it's much more unknown. You know, what if the baby does this? What if the baby does that? So from the start, I could tell she didn't really want me to try for a vaginal from some of the comments that she made. Anyway, that's that's what happened, and I was very happy with it. And and I know I tried everything. I couldn't put everything in place, and um, that was possibly the reason that um, you know the size and the position of both babies. So you talked a little bit about it before, but what was your recovery like after the second cesarean? The recovery the second time, it was still challenging. I still found getting in and out of bed hard, but I found in some ways it easier because firstly, I was home 
like in Sydney with family. So my toddler was very well looked after and he was very happy and I had, you know, my mum make me food all the time and so that was that was very supported and nurtured in that way. But also I found with the second I did a lot more sleeping in bed with my baby in those early few months. So I didn't have to pressure myself to get out of bed all the time to feed and not pressure myself to kind of uh, recover sooner, so to speak. So the recovery in some ways was easier and I wasn't as tired. I didn't go for as long labouring the second time round. So I had more energy. I was more enjoying the experience and I think that contributed to a better recovery. And did you return to practice between second and third? Oh, yes. Yeah, I did. I always tried to find ways to practice. We moved when I was pregnant with my third. So I had about a year, just over a year with my two toddlers and I was trying to practice again whenever I could at the gym, at home, and then I fell pregnant the third time. And when I uh, moved to Melbourne, I practised at um, the centre in Melbourne with Tracy and Graham. So that was really good as well as home practice. After having given birth, you know, finally kind of feeling recovered, I'd get pregnant again. So (laughs) then I'd modify again. So I found, you know, I never really kind of was looking to advance my practice or go, you know, in terms of physical asana. I wasn't worried about that. I just wanted to connect again, feel good again, just enjoy um, my practice. But it was only after the third that I really started to recover after that and now go, oh, I can push my limits more. You know, I can try this asana or that asana. I feel much stronger in my body again. So it's taken like, you know, years of patience with my practice and letting go of what it should look like, what I want it to look like and what it actually is. How was your third pregnancy? Was it pretty much the same as your first two? Yeah, first trimester again, tired, you know, similar experience. And then the pregnancy was far more exhausting though. I had two toddlers, two two babies basically at home, none of them toilet trained, fully toilet trained. I was so tired and I had just moved to Melbourne. So that was actually probably the most difficult year I've had. Pregnant with my third in a new city that I was unfamiliar with, no family and having to navigate motherhood and work out where I was going to give birth, where to go, where to practice. But I was very grateful. It all fell into place really well. I found a service called Mama Midwives and Mothers Australia And I'm so grateful for that because I had such great continuity of care with the third baby. So they're like basically a centre with midwives, private midwives, um, allied health professionals. And I didn't try for a home birth um, under the wisdom of the midwives there. They said, look, you've had two caesareans. The hospital was telling me not to try for a VBAC. That tends to be the basic directive you know, you don't try after the second. I mean, there was once upon a time you weren't even allowed to try for a VBAC. Once a cesarean, always a cesarean. So it's interesting how science evolves. But this time I did my research and, and everything and I felt confident eventually. It took a long time to to try for a VBAC again. You know, it was it was really hard to come to that decision, but I did. And I still was completely affiliated with the hospital and had the baby through the hospital but had a private midwife the whole way through and she was there for the labour and everything at the hospital. So it was a different experience the third time as well because I was settled in and had care and didn't have to travel anywhere to give birth or anything like that. I was in the city that I was going to birth. What were your what was your decision process around attempting a VBAC for your or the vaginal birth after two cesareans? 
I was really nervous about trying for a VBAC the third time. I mean, the second time was a no-brainer. Of course, I was going to try and that was fine. I, it didn't even occur to me to be concerned about it. But the, the third time, I was nervous about it. And the process that I had basically was in finding Mama and my dealings with the hospital, I was able to navigate my way through making this decision. The hospital just black and white said, you should be doing a cesarean. You should be booking in for a cesarean. Um, and I'd always come home after that appointment and just be like devastated by the way they spoke to me, by the way they were just so matter of fact. And, you know, I can't even tell you a couple of the comments that were made to me there. Then I'd go to mama and have my appointments and I'd feel empowered. I'd feel, they didn't tell me to do anything either. They never said, have a this kind of birth or do this or don't do that. They just talked me through the process and they just listened to me and they they made me feel very comfortable with the possibilities and the actual reality of the evidence behind VBACs. And there are there are pros and cons to both and there are risks even in a planned cesarean. So what I did from there is I had some counselling with the psychologist at the centre and I just talked through my thinking around it all. And again, she didn't tell me what to do. She just helped me navigate that, um, my thought process. And the other thing I did is there's a book by a woman named Hensi Goa. She's an American woman and she wrote a book called A Thinking Woman's Guide to a Better Birth. And I remember it being so comprehensive. It went through scientific studies. It gave you everything. It wasn't one of those kind of touchy-feely books. Um, it wasn't just designed to make you feel empowered necessarily. It was empowering in a different way. It was here are the facts, here are the pros and cons, here are the risks in every little thing you could possibly have in your birth experience. And it wasn't trying to convince you of anything. Um, and I just remember it being so her being so knowledgeable. So I started finding her book again, looking into it, and then I realised she had all these articles online. I contacted her directly and I told her my situation and she actually sent me a whole stack of research she had done on VBACs and I bought her course, did, did the whole thing, and then from that I actually felt really confident in my decision to go for a VBAC because I found out the risks of a rupture, which is what they constantly were telling me, the risks of a rupture um, to your uterus were high if you've had cesareans, which is true, you have a higher risk, but they didn't tell me the risk of having a, a cesarean for a third time is also high, the, the issues around that to your bladder and to, you know, your uterus and cutting, it's major surgery. So there were issues with both. When I did this research, I just felt really comfortable with what I was reading and the statistics that I was like, I'm going to go into spontaneous labor, that's definite, and I'm going to allow my body to do its thing. And if I need another cesarean, then that's what I'll have. But if I don't, then I won't. And it was just giving my body and baby an opportunity to choose, so to speak. So, yeah, that's mm -hmm. that was my thinking. And how did you, like, did you have to unpack Having had two births that unfolded the same way, like how did you go, did you kind of have to psych yourself up for the third? Were you able to sort of accept that, well, you're going to at least give it a go and if it didn't work out then yeah. how did you prepare yourself for that third birth? Funny enough, I was probably had the most fear the third time around, <laughs> um, around it because I knew what could possibly happen and I really – I, one thing that I was really afraid of was that my baby can't fit through my vagina. That just didn't leave my head. And I thought because the first one, 
was too big maybe, couldn't come out, um, and my pelvis was too small. And then the second time I was 10 centimetres, how come she didn't come through? You know, they were saying she was stuck. So in my head I was like, I have a small pelvis. And, of course, some doctors have said that to me. And I never always believed that because I don't think that's always, that could be true, but it's very rare. The third time around, I wasn't really psyching myself up for a vaginal, but I was really trying to remove the fear around just trying again, just going into spontaneous labour because I thought, oh, it could be easier really to just have a good night's sleep, wake up in the morning, go and have my caesarean, have a baby and not be tired and not have to go through the unknown again. But then I thought, well, that's really not giving my body, the hormones in my body to really do its thing and to have the concoction of love hormones actually be released when your body goes into spontaneous labor and I really believed in that so I did a lot of meditation I did um, these beautiful guided meditations I found on relieving fear and a doula had told me a few meditations to do and she also told me to watch baby seals give birth um, on YouTube just get on YouTube and watch baby seals give birth so I did that and it was hilarious because they just slide right out of them And that was one thing I visually had to just get out of my head that my baby's going to get stuck, you know, because that was, that was the fear. That's all I had. It wasn't about the pain as much as the, my baby's not going to come out. It's just going to be stuck there. How was the birth for your third different from the other two? The third baby, um, when I went into hospital, I was, you know, it was pretty still mild, but my midwife wanted me to break my waters. So when I did that, it crept up pretty quick. And when it intensified, I did start to get really nervous because, again, the fear crept up. But I was very, very well supported. The midwives there at the hospital, as well as my midwife, were all very supportive. They had a very nice, calming nature and I felt very protected. But I I did have to have more monitoring. So I was using a TENS machine and I had to remove that. The baby had to have monitoring on its head because I had to cesareans and it was just part of their protocol like I couldn't really say no to and I thought it was safer anyway so we we had to do more monitoring which meant I couldn't go in the bath and for me the bath was something that really soothed me uh, both times so that was really disappointing I didn't really know where to go and I tried the gas and I just hated that and I just tried to breathe and I tried to um, do all the humming and things that I was used to but at one point I got it was just too intense and then the fear crept in again There was actually an obstetrician that was originally there when I first got in and, you know, she already kind of made this assessment and judgment on me that I had a small pelvis and didn't think I could have this baby vaginally. And I thought, oh, great, here we go again. Then the shift change happened, which was an absolute um, blessing because the guy that replaced this person was like, I'm going to try and do this with you. We're going to do this. I promise I'm going to give you the best chance possible. And he gave me confidence in at least trying that I felt that that this obstetrician was on my page and was going to give me the best chance but not take unnecessary risks. So I was very well supported and labour went much quicker because of the breaking of the waters. I ended up with an epidural and I was pushing that way and um, in the end, yeah, I just had to have an assisted delivery. Um, they weren't sure where it was going to go. They weren't sure if I was going to have a cesarean or not. Um, but they did give me the best opportunity. And I'm so grateful because sometimes I think it's not, it, well, I know it's not just about the woman birthing. It's about her support team around her and their belief in her as well and her body and birth, not just her, but birth <laughs> um, and what it does, you know, how, how it can happen naturally for most people. And I'm not saying this is for everybody, but um, 
you know, faith in birth and the process is what I needed. And I felt I had that with that obstetrician, which I was very fortunate um, to have someone who had my back at that time. How long did you breastfeed for with your children? So the first one, uh, breastfeeding was challenging, um, but we got there in the end. The third baby I breastfed the longest because I wasn't pregnant again. And so I didn't really have any sensitivity to to wean her off and she was quite happy and um, so I think she was two or over just over two when she weaned with the first two it was probably just over a year and a half or so that was still breastfeeding but I didn't feel as good I was pregnant again and I was nauseous and it didn't feel great I was you know sensitive and I think they once they were eating more they just noticed I don't know they just weaned off themselves I didn't really push to wean them but I was a very gentle particularly at night at sleep time I definitely weaned them off that as much as I could so yeah they they all had a really good stint I feel uh, with breastfeeding. Did you notice any differences in your body when you were practicing while you're breastfeeding? Oh definitely firstly I was always hungry I was always like needing to eat because I'm making a milk production so I felt like I was always hungry so I obviously had more weight on my body because I was just, I I wasn't ready to just lose all this weight straight away. Um, I wanted to make sure I had enough nutrients in my body to feed my my baby, my my children. I felt really, obviously, my breasts were very tender. And anytime I was in any yoga position on my tummy, that was tender. (laughs) My shoulders and back and neck could always use a release. I always felt really tight around there, constantly, you know, feeding and holding babies. It's only now I don't actually have a baby to hold anymore years and years of just holding babies. Um, so around my neck and shoulders and back, always felt different and tighter than, than usual. Maybe just talk a little bit more about what your practice looked like. At what point did you start cranking that up again? Well, with my third baby, again, I had that first year where I just took things nice and easy and we weren't sure about having another one. Um, so I just kind of went, I'm going to keep practicing. And I started enjoying more stronger classes. I found Amanda from Mysore, Melbourne. Um, I discovered her and then I started going Saturday mornings to her class. So that was my nice time for a nice, uh, you know, lead primary class that was beautiful but again I noticed the first time I went there I probably pushed too hard because I came home with a sore shoulder I heard it so much that I had like an immovable arm for like three days so then I realized hey you know don't push it Grace don't push it so I think it was just the jump throughs and the jump backs you know I was just so excited to practice again and I realized you know I can't push I've really got to take it nice and easy so I actually found a really nice a studio close by called Yoga Flame and I quite enjoyed that it's it's just a nice vinyasa different vinyasa classes and I found a couple of the teachers that I liked and just a nice strong vinyasa class is what I started to try and get to at least once or twice a week and then just do my home practice as well so I didn't always do ashtanga which I'm grateful for because I, I learned a lot in moving my body in different ways as well and other ways that can really ease certain areas that were I was struggling in. So yeah, I started cranking it up probably when my body was ready. Definitely not a year, it was still hard, you know, still taking it nice and easy. And I would say now my daughter, she's three and a half, almost four. And I can say probably this year, three years after her, that I felt like, oh, I'm heaps stronger now. 
And now I'm doing dropbacks again and enjoying more intense backbends and just experimenting more with my practice and my body. And I, I could say it's taken, you know, at least two and a half years after my third baby to really feel strong. And it's still not the same. Nothing's going to be the same. It's just different. And are you still teaching your yoga through the mama? Yeah, mama, midwives and mothers, yeah. I am teaching. I've been teaching online since I think April. I've been teaching a regular prenatal group weekly with mama. But before the lockdowns and everything, I was teaching face-to-face and their mums and bubs classes. I really love the centre. It's such a great, it's a home for mothers, you know, for women and families. I just always feel like it's a haven. You could just go in and have a yarn with someone, have a chat and then leave. Like it's just such a beautiful place. Um, I am teaching through there and I also run my own business, Yoga with Grace, which I've had for years. And it's evolved and changed over time, but I run that in um, Melbourne and now it's online at the moment. So that's been pretty cool. I've been able to reach students that I had in Western Australia and even people in Sydney. Yeah, definitely still teaching and, and, and loving that and keeping, I love keeping community together. So I try and connect everyone together through Facebook or Instagram and, and try and keep the community alive. How do you approach parenting, particularly having three children and then the conflicting demands of those three children? Yeah, I mean, I taught this morning, actually. I taught a class this morning. You could just hear my kids in the background, my two girls just yapping and arguing and chatting in the background. And because a lot of the people I have now are mums, they just totally get it and they're fine with it. I try to switch it off. It's not always easy, but I try and say, okay, that's all right. I can still maintain my focus and still teach and still practice and just let them do what they're doing. And it doesn't always happen, but that's what I try and work on. And then even when I practice, I try not to create this sterile environment where everything is just, I try, I'd like it to be, but it doesn't happen. So I've tried to accept that it's not. So I try not to have like a sterile place. Like this is the shala, shut the door, lock it. No, I just do it in the lounge room. It's just in, it's in their face. And I might put some music on sometimes if it helps me tune out the noise, the background noise, or I might just have silence or I'll do it when they're in bed. I always use this term, you know, calm in the chaos. And I can do it when I'm practicing yoga pretty well now. Like I'll do my practice and I'll hear them be chaotic outside and I'll just keep going. It's like they're not there. But in daytime, when I'm not practicing, in lifetime, when I'm trying to cook a meal or or do something else and they're screaming or, or arguing, I actually keep trying to apply that same principle. And I find that hard. I find it hard to find that calm in that chaos. And I keep trying to bring myself to my breath. Sometimes, you know, there's a mantra I'll say in my head. I just try and apply that the practices that I do on my mat outside of the mat and into real life because that's what it is. And I try and teach them those practices. If one of the kids is worked up and upset or angry, we try and breathe together. Um, we take some breaths together. You know, I'm not perfect. I can be, you know, get angry at things. And I, I actually explicitly tell them, mum's feeling angry right now. This is what's happening. I'm going to take some breaths. Or I'm going to go for a little walk to calm myself down. I'm trying to teach them those practices. I want them to see it. I don't want it to be something separate mum does on her own. I want them to see yoga as something they can access. For me, motherhood is really not shying away from being real with the kids, let, letting them part of, be part of your life and part of the process, not painting a perfect picture of mum or dad that they don't, you know, they don't see that part. They've seen me cry, they've seen me angry, and then they see how I deal with it and how I apologise or how I 
use yoga to help me calm down or I'll go for a walk, you know. So I want them to see those strategies that they can use themselves. Being a mum has really changed my teaching as well and I feel so fortunate for that because I've reached a lot of mums. There was a point there before I had kids. I had a mixed crowd that would come in Port Hedland to my classes. I didn't really fully get the mother part. You know, I I understood the more younger crowd. But since being a mum, I can really understand the the mother as a student having so many mothers now that attend my classes, I've learned so much about what they need possibly in their bodies and what they're asking me for. As a result, I've actually created these programs, um, these 15 minutes, and it doesn't seem like a lot, particularly Ashtangas, you know, one and a half hours usually. These are 15-minute yoga classes that I've created you know, a busy mum with kids and school drop-offs and working full-time says, I've got 15 minutes, I can do that. They're pre-recorded videos. My teaching has changed and been directed by the students that I've had, by the need that they've given me. And I feel so fortunate. Still working through Mama and just forming a community of women has really enriched my teaching so much. Where where do you sit with your practice now? You know, I have, I have this uh, view of Ashtanga that it's home to me. You know, if I want to feel home, I'll practice Ashtanga. That's what I'll do. I'll just get on and, and do a, a nice, beautiful primary series sequence and just feel so warm and fuzzy inside and and just feel like I've done what I needed to feel connected and home. And when I do go home, literally to Sydney, I'll always, you know, go to, to Eileen and, and go daily if I could and do my practice and feel strong and feel connected and feel home. But I don't practice Ashtanga every day anymore. I've put a lot more variety into my practice with the particular needs in my body that I feel like it's not it's not allowing me to access. So I kind of mix and match, but I feel now that I do have more ambitions for my practice. I'm going upside down and kicking over more or backdropping or working on Kapotasana, things that I, I haven't been able to do in years, like being able to touch on even. So yeah, I do feel stronger. I do have more ambitions. It's not like when I was in my 20s when I first started, it's different. But now it's like, I'm just going to keep pushing my limits, keep enjoying it, keep loving it. And that's all it is. It's just for that, for what it is. It's to feel good. It's to be a good mum. It's to be a good wife. It's to be a good daughter. It's to perfect me as a person, so to speak, not perfect a yoga practice or an asana. If allowing me time on my mat makes me a better mother to my kids, makes me more patient and loving and kind, and that's what I'm going to do. But if it's making me nasty, if it's, if it's, I'm not going to fit an hour and a half of yoga every day on my mat. It just won't happen. I've removed that expectation and I just get on my mat and I do what I can. And sometimes I'll do half an hour, sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes an hour. And whatever I get there is, is, is nurturing me and I'm grateful for it. If people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? There's my website, which has everything on it for other connections. So it's yogawithgrace.com.au and it has links there to my Instagram and Facebook and my online programs that I mentioned earlier. You can check it all out there. Thank you so much. It was great chatting to you today. Thank you, Gaynor. Love chatting. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the 7th Series podcast. If you're new to the series, take the time to listen to more stories. Please subscribe to keep up to date with the new episodes as they're released and help this show to reach more people by going to Apple Podcasts to rate or leave a review. 
You can connect with me or share episodes on Facebook and Instagram and find out more about the show or the guests at seventhseries.net. Please join me again for another episode of the 7th Series.